Hey, this is Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet and At The Letters, and you are listening to the Jays Journal Podcast with Ari Shapiro. the show this afternoon is someone that uh, I haven't had on in a while, and I'm kind of disappointed about that, but I was fortunate enough to find him right now. You know him as the baseball editor for Sportsnet Coast to Coast. He's also a prodigious writer, blogger, and has his very own podcast with Arden Zwelling called At The Letters. Ben Nicholson-Smith joins me now on the Jays Journal podcast. Ben, glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks, Ari. It's always fun to, to talk Blue Jays with you, so thanks for having me on. Well, and it's usually a lot more fun when we have a lot of reasons to talk about positive things that are happening. And I'm sure you yourself are probably still um, a little bit discombobulated from all the negative things that have been happening, right? This kind of blanket of consciousness that are hitting some Blue Jays fans and making them feel like this is 2017 all over again. How similar, if anything, is this year in your mind compared to last year? And what should the average Blue Jay fan be thinking moving forward? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a tough month for the Blue Jays, that's for sure. I mean, you can definitely draw some similarities as far as injuries uh, playing a role, um, underperformances too. And I, I think the difference in a lot of ways is the, the initial tone set by that first month of the season, where last year you knew basically from the beginning of the season that this team was going to be out of it. And that was such a shock after consecutive appearances in the ALCS. We just weren't expecting that. Whereas this year, I think expectations were lower and so once they got out to a really good start, then you started to think, hey, this team can be in it. I still think that's a possibility for this team. It's just not looking nearly as likely as it was even a couple of weeks ago. Well, and Ben, a part of you has to be truly uh, gobsmacked by the similarities in terms of the freakish and mounting injuries to players. You know, what, what Nate Pearson suffered a few weeks ago immediately made me feel like there's this baseball hex team. Uh, the revolving door call-ups, the unfamiliar baseball names to the average lay fan, the controversy off the field with what happened to Roberto Osuna. How does a Blue Jay fan reconcile a year, like you said, that started with a lot of hope and for about a few weeks gave us the impression that it could be different, but now everything seems to be going south at the same time. What do you attribute that to? Is that just bad baseball luck? That's got to be part of it. And, you know, injuries are, are something that every team deals with. So, you know, I don't think that the Jays can point to that solely as the reason for their struggles, although there's no question that it's played a big role. So as far as where did, where do you look? I mean, you kind of look ahead and, you know, I think that this team has a chance to rebound. They would obviously have to play a lot better than they have been for the last few weeks, but they have a chance to rebound if they go out there and put together a solid stretch of baseball. And probably that's going to have to come from some really dependable starting pitching, something that we haven't seen a lot from, from this team, um, in the last few weeks. So that's that's the chance that they have, because if it doesn't happen, then you start to look at guys like Josh Donaldson and Jay Happ in the final years of their contracts, and, and you start to contemplate the possibility of trade. And, of course, for all the years you've been following baseball, my friend, 
Could you say you've ever seen such a long stretch of inconsistency from basically four out of five starters? I mean, with the exception of Jay Happ, it seems like every single starter in this rotation at some point this year has found himself either battling his confidence, his ability, or, or not having the fortitude to be at the major league level. Why do things like that happen in baseball in groups? I mean, usually you'll hear about one or two start, uh, struggling starters. What happens when a team's got to face with this much adversity? Yeah, it's it's a real challenge, and a couple of those guys injured right now. Uh, a couple others in, you know, Aaron Sanchez and Marco Estrada, just inconsistent performances, like you said. And and yeah, I mean, we've seen over the years, we've definitely seen rotations that are this bad. Um, the one the one puzzling thing to me, and I think this is, you know, something that that you probably um, have observed as well, and, and a lot of people who follow this team closely w- would probably have the same reaction, but going into the season, the rotation looked to be pretty stable. And so to have this to have this turn pretty quickly to the point where the rotation now looks like a, a weakness. I mean, if you look at it currently, with Joe Biagini in there, Sam Gavilio in there, Aaron Sanchez struggling with his command, that's, that's not a strength. That's a, re- that's a weakness at this point. So that's where the Jays are going to have to find other areas of, of strength on this club to make up for what's been a, a pretty disappointing starting rotation. You know, it would be really easy, Ben, to simply heap doom and gloom and, and give into this notion that uh, in a 162-game season, fans should be hanging it up. You, you never do that in baseball. You and I have seen teams get up to worse starts and ones who've sputtered out in August and September. If the Blue Jays start getting the type of starting pitching that they need, I agree that they will become in the long run, a team that will give fans reasons to be happy rather than sad. But what does it say about certain players like a Randall Grecha coming back from injury or a Kendris Morales who keeps struggling mightily and doing the sorts of things that make fans really frustrated like the other night when he didn't run out a, a guaranteed double that turned into a single? What does John Gibbons have to do in order to motivate these players to get to the point where fans aren't feeling as though they've been sold a, you know, a wrongful bill of goods? Yeah, it's such an interesting balancing act, right? You know, you have a guy in Kendrys Morales, and I agree completely. That's a ball that he needs to be running. At, at the same time, he's been playing professional baseball now for nearly two decades, and so mm-hmm. he knows that. Is that, you know, the, the role of the, the manager to go up to a 35-year-old player before game day and say, hey, Kendrys, you know, we really want you to run out these, these bad balls. I mean, that should go without saying. These guys are professionals. This is what they do professionally. You don't have to... You know, if you're if you're managing professionals, that's the baseline, and and I don't think that I, I don't think that's really on Gibbons. I think that that's on Kendrys Morales. But it doesn't that doesn't answer your bigger question, which which I think is a really good one. Which you know how how does this team collectively rebound from what's been a slow start? And I think it's just got to start with you know to to go back to to the baseball cliche. It starts with small things. It starts with one day at a time. And, and I'm sure that if they were to put together even a couple of wins, you get back to that 500 mark, all of a sudden anything's possible. And then you don't have to go down this, this path where every small mistake ends up being really highlighted and, and, and really magnified. Well, that, that being said, Ben, are teams like the Oakland Athletics, teams like the Los Angeles Angels and Seattle Mariners, are the Blue Jays really good enough this year, in your opinion, to challenge those teams for a wild card spot if the opportunity presents itself? So I think the Jays are, are definitely as good as the Athletics. I think they're as good as the Mariners. They're, they're as good as the Rays. 
as good as the Twins. I, you know, watching the Angels in the last few days and the kind of lineup that they have, and I don't just mean offensively, but when you have two-way players, of course, Shohei Otani being the, being the most prominent, but even Mike Trout being a guy who is the best offensive player in baseball and also a very good defensive center fielder. Angleson Simmons, who has a 400 OBP, and he's the best defender at any position in baseball. So when you have guys like that who are contributing overall value on both sides of the ball, it's really tough to compete with that. Now, as you said, this is baseball, this is a long season, crazy things happen. So if the Blue Jays were to put together a nice little run, maybe they have some breakout performances, a Ryan Barucki comes up and really perform as well for this team in the rotation down the stretch. Maybe Vlad Jr. ends up here. Who knows? Josh Donaldson ends up returning to his career norms and posting an OPS that's 1,000 instead of 700. I mean, these are the kind of things that the Jays would need to have happen. I think that you're going to need a lot of good things to happen in the course of a season to make the playoffs. They haven't had enough of those things, and they probably need some lucky breaks along the way as well. You know, Ben, it's really funny that you brought up Simmons, a player who has been so incredibly underestimated. Didn't he win what they referred to as a platinum glove a few years ago as the best defensive player in the National League? Well, if he didn't, he should have, because watching him, is it's phenomenal. Even the small plays that are easy to overlook. I mean, this guy is just a, a really impressive player to watch. Even today, he's out there at second base and kind of gets a tough feed from the pitcher on a double play ball. And the way that he turned that double play, getting so much strength behind mm. his throw, that is not an easy thing to do, but he made it look very easy and ended up helping his team get an extra out right there. Absolutely. And, and you've got to love those teams that have the kind of veterans who are character veterans, you know, be it Ian Kinsler, be it Albert Pujols. These are the kind of guys you want in your clubhouse that can help you weather, you know, long uh, losing streaks or stretches where you're playing poor baseball. Now, you know, you opened the door, Ben, so I'm going to kick it in to wrap up this segment. You mentioned Vladdy Guerrero Jr. And as you can imagine, I've been going on a lot of different radio spots and doing a lot of podcast appearances where people ask me the reasons for calling him up against calling him up. You've heard it all, I'm sure, the reasons ranging from the importance of developing him in AAA as opposed to rushing his development or finding room for him on a club that's got returning players like Steve Pierce and Troy Tulowitzki and Randall Grichuk. And of course, the argument that uh, it's, a, it's an economic fiscal decision that could cost the Blue Jays a year of control. Give me the definitive Ben Nicholson-Smith take on what you would do when it comes to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the 2018 Toronto Blue Jays. Well, what I would do might end up being different than what the team does, but I'll, I'll say what I would do, and, and here's mm-hmm. where it starts. The first step for me would be promoting him to AAA because he's hitting 470 this month at AA, and I think that's enough to say that he can hit AA pitching. We've seen that. So you promote him to AAA, see what he can do there, and while he's at AAA, you can still work on his defense. You can send your instructors um, right to – Buffalo, if you want to, make sure that he has all the support that he needs to develop as a defensive player at AAA. So I would send him there, and I'd want to see him succeed there for an extended period, maybe a month, maybe it's six weeks. But you'd want to see him succeed against advanced pitching, against advanced bullpens, and you'd want to see that happen for a long time. If he succeeds there and continues hitting 300 with 1,000 OPS, 400, whatever it is, if he's really, really hitting, then bring him up. And I would bring him up mid-season, probably ends up being July at some point. And I think that at that point, you still get six and a half years of him. You know, it's, it's not ideal. Of course, you'd rather have 10 when it comes to Vlad Jr. But you get yeah. six and a half years of him, and you work with that. So that's, that's what I would do. 
I think the team will probably operate pretty similar to that as well. And, and do you think they are putting stock in the fact that there's as much an element of bringing up a player for the sake of being competitive as it is from a PR perspective of giving people a reason to say, I want to drive down to the Rogers Center and check out the game, you know, avoid the dreaded 15,000 in July and August that you and I recognized was a huge issue last year, even though ultimately they didn't have to worry about it with attendance numbers. But this year, that's a legitimate concern, isn't it? This team's eight games under 500 come July. Yeah, you know, it might be. And I, I think that's a concern probably for the business side. You know, that's a business operations decision. I think on the baseball side, they're not going to worry about selling tickets. Vlad Jr., in the course of the next six, seven years, he's going to sell a lot of tickets for this team. And they need to make sure that he is producing to the the height of his potential, yeah. which is obviously substantial. So I, I think that the decision will be made around his potential and maximizing that as opposed to around ticket sales. Oh, makes a lot of sense, absolutely. Ben, tell my listeners what you've been up to, what they should be aware of that you've got cooking with Sportsnet and At The Letters. Yeah, so as you said, At The Letters, that's the podcast that we do, and it's always always a fun discussion. We really, so I'm on it with Arden Welling, we really dive into the minutiae. So anything around the roster, anything around the, the small decisions that make up a season and, and really separate good teams from bad teams, we love diving into that kind of topic. And so... We spend a lot of time on the on the bench players and on the bullpen and just every every little detail around the Blue Jays and alongside that, of course, um, Sportsnet.ca coordinating and writing articles for uh, for our website there. And so, if anyone gets the chance to check it out, that would be that'd be very cool. Absolutely, that's one for the podcatcher. That's for sure. Be sure to check him out. His name is Ben Nicholson Smith. You can find him on Twitter at B. Nicholson Smith, the baseball editor with Sportsnet Coast to Coast. Ben, thanks for taking the time to join the show today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Ari. Thanks for having me on. Here we are with the latest edition of the Jays Journal Roundtable. And my first guest is a market practitioner and analyst with the Levy Institute who calls himself a tragic follower of all Toronto sports teams. And these days, I'm absolutely inclined to agree with him. Marshall Auerbach is on the Jays Journal podcast. How are you, sir? Uh, better than the Blue Jays bullpen. Well, you know, at, at this point, we can pretty much end the show because we're going to have a lot of opinions about that. Absolutely, you're right. It's, it's, it's been a rough stretch. Next, he's a highly sought-after motivational speaker and the mental toughness and peak performance coach for the Wright State Baseball Program, along with having a very successful podcast, which looks at the importance of psychological preparation and fortitude in amateur and professional sports. Welcome Diamond Hall back on the show. Glad to have you back, Mr. Hall. Good to be back, Art. Right. Good to be back. I did that whole intro in one breath, by the way, just, just to be clear. That's how, how comfortable <laughs> that's I'm motivation. Be back. That's, that's, that's motivation. <laughs> and uh, finally, I'm pleased to have with us one of the preeminent Blue Jays baseball bloggers and writers in the country. You know him as the Blue Jay Hunter, who also writes for Sporting News MLB, Daily Hive Toronto, and Blue Jays Nation. Ian Hunter is back on the Jays Journal podcast. How are you, good sir? Good, Ari. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure, Ian. Thanks for finding the time. Look, gents, let's get straight to the heart of the matter here. It's been dreadful around these parts here in Toronto. Uh, The Blue Jays now have lost seven straight series. Uh, After starting the year, I believe, winning four or five in a row and everyone jumping to the conclusion that we were going to finish with the division crown. Now, after a one-in-six homestand against teams that they're supposed to beat, like the Oakland Athletics and the LA Angels, I want to start with you, Ian, and gentlemen, feel free to chime in at any time. 
is this the time to start panicking if you're a Blue Jays fan? Um, no, I don't think so. I think for the most part where the Blue Jays were pegged to be at this point in the season, they are uh, where they should be. I mean, they really, they got fat. They fattened up on those, uh, on the teams in April when they played the, the White Sox and the Orioles. Um, and, you know, their, their record may have been a little bit inflated and kind of indicated that they were playing better than they, than the team that they were, but, now that they've succumbed to a few injuries in the starting rotation and um, Josh Donaldson isn't quite playing at peak Josh Donaldson uh, performance, um, Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's time for panic to set in. I think it's just this team has fallen back down to earth and, you know, reality has sunken in. It also doesn't help the fact that, you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees are playing out of this world right now. Um, So when you contrast, where the Blue Jays are and where where Boston and New York are, um, it's a pretty stark comparison. Uh, but overall, I think this is kind of the team that everyone expected them to be, and they are where most people predicted them to be. It's just the fall from grace has been uh, very clumsy and, and very uh, brutal to watch, as John Gibbons said uh, mm. earlier today. I would have to I would have to agree. I don't think it's it's the time to panic. I think it's going to be a long season. Um, and it's – how many games are they in there? Only, uh, what, about 50, about 50 games in? No time to panic. Uh, I mean, this is baseball. Anything can happen. Hmm. On the other hand, to inject a contrarian note, if you're going to panic, it's better to panic earlier than later. Um, so um, – but levity aside, I, I, I agree with uh, what Diamond and Ian were saying. Um, that being said, you've got to look at the numbers. Um, we, we all knew coming into the season that this team was, to be honest about it, competing for a wild card spot, not for a division crown, um, and uh, that a lot of things had to go right for them to be competitive in that position. So the, the, the point is that you and, – and, and I would also add that the, 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 the team, in a sense, made a, a half-assed bet in, in reflecting where they thought they could go in the standings. They obviously weren't going for it. And so I think they have to be realistic. So it's not time to panic, but I think um, it, it's probably not too far away from the point where you, you'd have to think that we're going to have to um, cut bait and start thinking about um, 2019, 2020, and, and not perpetuate this, this nonsense that, you know, well, we're, we're only five games out of a wild card spot and, 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 and having the, the, the fan base being offered it a year of mediocre baseball with no sense or, or plan of where they're going to be going for, for next year. So I think that uh, if in another um, three or four weeks they're still middling around 500, then realistically I think they've got to accelerate the, the rebuild, especially since they're, they're not going to be the only team that's doing this. And I think in that sense I was only half joking when I said panic early because you know there's already uh, rumors that, for example, the Texas Rangers are, are talking about offering – Cole Hamels around, or they're taking uh, calls about him, and 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 um, there's going to be more teams like that as, as you get further into the season, and um, you know, so the market could get it, it could really become more of a buyer's market than the, than you think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they should kid themselves. Like last year is a bit of a different story because they were um, so far back under 500, but at the same time, they were never really out of it until I think about really early August, whenever that series was in Chicago, that was basically it for them uh, last year. But now, you know, you've got two, like many other teams ahead of them in the wildcard standings, like the, 
the Mariners and the Angels, for example, you know, the Angels that just took two out of three in Toronto, these are two really solid teams that look really good. Um, so it's just the Jays have to leapfrog that many more teams to put themselves in a wild card position. And really, from what I've seen from this team so far, I don't, I haven't seen anything that indicates that this team is going to kick off like an eight or a 10 game win streak. You know, they've just really had trouble stringing together series, let alone games. So it's just, to me, that, that it's, it's almost insurmountable at this point. I think they can still play competitive baseball. I don't, I don't think the season's done by any means, but it's, you know, they're not going to win the division and everything from here on out is going to have to break right for them to even make the second wild card. I think I saw something they're going to have to play 600 baseball for the rest of the season to even have a shot, which is asking a lot wow. uh, of this team. Wow. And the, and the other thing too, is that if they do start to play well um, and, um, and say run off eight to 10 games, which I agree with you Ian, is unlikely. Um, you, you've almost got to take that as a chance to um, uh, uh, sell high on some of these players that are going to be contributing to that. Because the problem is that it, you, you really, uh, your negotiating position is likely to be undermined uh, the longer this goes on. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we discussed this already in the off season and I was saying that, um, you know, the thing about Donaldson, you either got to sign him long-term or trade him now because you know, his value is, is, going to, is, is not going to be much higher as it was based on what he did at the end of last season. And obviously, um, he's not the same player now that he was uh, at the end of last season. Um, he does seem to be showing early signs of, um, you know, what, what happened to uh, Jose Bautista, namely that you know, the aging process is, is coming into play. And he could well improve, um, but I, I think if he did, you'd have to consider him a, a a good candidate for um, a good trade candidate um, uh, if you can get a good offer for him. And likewise, um, as painful as it might be, someone like uh, Jay Happ, who's been their best pitcher, because, um, you know, the, the, the re- reality is I, I just don't see how this team can surpass uh, um, teams like Seattle or Los Angeles. Even Oakland looks better at this point. And, and so you might as well um, build a foundation for next year and the year following. And, that, and, and, of course, we haven't mentioned uh, Vlad, which I'm sure we'll come to mention at some point, too. You've you oh, got to figure out what to do there. Yeah, I, I don't think it's – it's not unusual to expect that at some point this conversation this evening will be about Vlad. But before we get there, I'm more concerned about listening to what the three of you just said about the importance of perspective. That's what I'm hearing. We have to be realistic, whether we're members of the media, fans, management, the players – But what does it say when after last year, and last year was traumatizing in many respects because it wasn't just a lousy year. It was one of those Murphy's Law, you know, something could go wrong, it ultimately did. How is this year really any different when you consider the last two and a half, three weeks of baseball? It's almost cruel and unusual because the first two and a half, three weeks started with an abundance of blissfulness and glee. Uh, the, the talk, the conjecture, I went back and listened to some of my radio appearance and, and, and po- podcasts I was on, and I sound like a blithering fool now. Why? Because I bought into the notion that this team may be found a way in starting quickly to turn the corner and be at least a competitive team. Yet you factor in what happened to Roberto Asuna. You factor in what happened to Nate Pearson down on the farm. It's like bad omens. It's like Amityville horror here. You look at the fact that when it comes to quality starts, the Blue Jays couldn't buy one right now. 
Diamond, tell me, what's going on in the minds of the players when they see something go so quickly 180? I mean, if you really, really think about it, considering how they started and where they're at now, what does it say for the remaining 110-plus games of baseball and what will be a very, very long season? I mean, I can imagine there's a little bit of panic going on in the dugout. But from a player's perspective, you know, I think these guys are, are just competing one pitch at a time and doing everything they can uh, you know, to control what they can control at the end of the day. I mean, that's all you can do, especially at that level. And I think um, you know, also from a player's perspective, understanding that this is a long season. And, I mean, it's a really long season. We're only, what, one-fourth of the way through around yeah, there? So, I mean, you know, anybody who's played baseball, you know, that, that anything can happen throughout the course of a season. Anybody can get hot. A lineup can get hot. Your bullpen can, you know, go from not being so great to, to doing really, really well. And if you keep that in perspective, you know, as a team, as a player, as a, as a you know, as an organization – and that's all you can really that's all you can really do. That's all you can really control at the end of the day, if that makes sense. So if we accept the fact that this is the kind of year where it's not even worth trying to convince the fan base, um, you know, overhype the product at this point because everyone's quiet and humble. The Blue Jays don't exactly have a lot to write home about outside of the occasional dancing Venezuelan or maybe the the consistency of Jay Happ, um, the starters have been beyond lousy. And it's kind of sad to think that the season rests on the shoulders of Jaime Garcia and two Italian pitchers, because really, unless those three, uh, in the case of Gavilio and uh, Biagini, unless they can start producing some, some wins, this could get ugly very quickly with the Phillies and the Red Sox on the horizon. Um, what needs to happen, Marshall, for you to maybe accept the notion that any fighting chance will exist if these starters maybe start returning to form? I mean, Aaron Sanchez hasn't been horrible. He hasn't been as effective as he could be, but he hasn't been horrible. And Marco Estrada can still pitch four to five innings and make you feel all rosy and happy and, and unicorns, and then suddenly you'll have that horrible inning like he had again today what needs to happen for you to maybe get some of that confidence and for fans to start feeling like you know what maybe there will be worthwhile baseball in july and twelve thousand people won't be the only souls watching whatever's left well you mentioned um two of the key points i mean the, the starting pitching has obviously been a disappointment and look i think last year we the team it's an, it was an old team it's still an old team but it was ravaged by injuries and the thought was okay um but if you get a good season out of uh, uh aaron sanchez and Marcus Stroman continues to do what he do, does, that will make a big difference. And, of course, if you get Devin Travis for a full season, that's going to make a huge difference as well. So then you, uh, you, you, you look at what's happened this season. Sanchez has been erratic. I mean, I saw him pitch uh, a couple of nights ago. His control was lousy, um, as was the whole, uh, the whole pitching staff, for, for that matter. But he's not been the same guy he was back in, in 2016. Stroman, um, he's had shoulder problems. And that's a worry because those are two young guys. Those are your future aces. Those are the one, that's the foundation stone for even 2019, 2020. And Devin Travis, who was this hitting machine, um, has been subpar, um, and um, that's a real problem. And these other guys that they have, I mean, look, Solarte, Diaz, uh, they, they, I think they were good acquisitions. Even Grishik, I'm not prepared to write him off as, as, as well. Uh, the, the problem is that... Um, Two of the three are not really everyday players. Um, Donaldson has not been uh, himself. 
and Martin is again showing signs of, of, of aging. So you've got, so I guess for me, I'd like to see Martin come back. I mean, he gives you a lot on defense, so I, I, I won't uh, begrudge him that. But, you know, you've got to see Sanchez and, um, and Stroman pitch better because, um, you know, I made, a, I made a joke at the beginning of the, the, uh, the, the uh, podcast about the bullpen, and um, it's a bit unfair because they've been highly taxed and uh, they've been asked to do a lot more than they were expected to do. And, of course, um, as you mentioned, Roberto Osuna being, um, you know, on administrative leave and who knows for how long – that's going to be a real problem uh, as well. And even when he gets back, you wonder how his head's going to get back in the game. So those are real concerns because it's not just the, an aging uh, injury-prone roster like last year. It's that the fact that the young cornerstones of this franchise are, are, are not playing well as well, which may, means that the road might be a bit tougher. So um, I would at least like to see uh, the Aaron Sa- shades of the Aaron Sanchez of 2016, the Marcus Stroman of last year, better performance from uh, Josh Donaldson, and hopefully uh, hopefully Roberto Osuna can come back and can do so with his name being cleared because, gosh, you don't want to see uh, a guy hanging around if it, if it turns out that he's been implicated in, in, mm. in something um, as, as, as bad as it sounds. I'm still kind of scratching my head trying to figure out uh, what happened with the starting rotation because that was yeah. supposed to be the hallmark of this team in 2018, and in 2016, that was what rode the Blue Jays into the playoffs was the strength of their starting pitching. And um, in retrospect, you know, maybe there were too many expectations on Marcus Stroman that he could carry that over into 2018. And maybe um, there were also too many expectations on Aaron Sanchez. I think the fact that he's healthy is a plus. But you know, now that he's on the field and he's starting every five days, I, I think a lot of people were expecting to see shades of his 2016 season and he's laboring to get through four or five innings and he's giving up, you know, four and five walks every night. And it's, it's almost like he's taking a step back in his development, which is, you know, really frustrating to watch. So you've got two key members of your starting rotation, not just this year, but the next, you know, two, three years down the road, they're both fledgling. One of them's injured. And then you have your, you know, your veteran lefty who's the ace of your staff right now, He's going to walk as a free agent. Um, it just, to me, it doesn't, like that was supposed to be a strength. It's not painting a, a great picture the rest of the season or even two, three years down the road. And then you look into your depth, into your minor league system. You know, someone like Sean Reed Foley just got called up to Buffalo, but he was rocked in his first start in AAA. Ryan Brucky really hasn't taken a huge step forward in AAA either. So, you know, the options of AAA and AA are, aren't exactly all that appealing. Um, and then you've got the, you know, the Joe Biagini experiment, which really is only still happening because Jaime Garcia and Str- Marcus Stroman got hurt. Um, so you, you add all these things up in terms of starting rotation. It's, it's one, one big factor why the Blue Jays are where they are right now. Um, but, uh, you know, just accounting for the fact that that was supposed, they were supposed to be, you know, like a mid-tier to a top-tier starting rotation, they've actually been one of the worst, is, um, you know, something I really didn't account for. Yeah, nor did I. And, and, I, and actually, Aaron Sanchez, he had control issues when he was in the, when it, they used him out of the bullpen. So, um, and he was using less pitch, uh, less uh, a small range of pitches. So, you know, I think he'll come back. Um, I think it's Russ that's still shaking off. But and and likewise with Stroman. But um, 
geez, you've got to hope so, because um, that's, as you say, has been the most disappointing factor. Uh, they, they were winning um, in, in, in April in spite of the fact that the, uh, the pitching was pretty lousy. The bullpen was fantastic, but you know, everything else had to go absolutely right. And now what's happening is that um, the other parts of the team are playing down a little bit, probably, uh, um, you know, and, and, and many of the old um, bad habits of the previous two years, particularly the situational hitting, the, 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 the runners hit, padding with runners in scoring position has been really lousy for the last few weeks. And, and that was a, that was a strength in, in, in April. So um, all of those things I think are starting to revive uh, too many unpleasant memories of last year. And um, there doesn't seem to be anything on the horizon um, uh, to um, offset that, except for he that uh, has not yet been named. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I mean, Voldemort, Voldemort could find a way to help these Blue Jays, but, uh, but we'll, we'll get to Vlad. I, 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 I'm actually quite uh, intrigued by how we've, we've uh, managed to isolate that, that Stroman and Sanchez really are the X factors for this team. And, you know, Marshall, you talked about clutch hitting. I, I, I don't think you – I think you were maybe a little too flattering because I think it just practically doesn't exist compared to how they started the year. I think my favorite Blue Jays stat through the fifth, first 15 games was that they hit 343 with runners in scoring position. And your mind's, just, your mind's just blown because you're thinking that is not only unnaturally high, but there will be regression eventually. There will be that gradual regression to the mean, falling down to earth, it's just that they've just fallen through the earth. And in the case of Stroman, obviously, we know that there was an injury that was suffered earlier and that Marcus being Marcus. And it's funny, by the way, I'm, I'm glad that, that Diamond is with us on this forum because, Diamond, you recall last year I retweeted or sent out some kind of Marcus Stroman tweet with you involved, and we got like 4,000 retweets, and I felt that day like I was the social media god because every time I was checking <laughs> notifications, I was getting blitzed by Marcus Stroman opinions, which I can tell you were 50-50 exactly the way you'd expect humans to have an yeah. opinion of Marcus Stroman, for better and for worse. But I'm wondering psychologically is the fact that Aaron Sanchez was represented and is represented by Scott Boris, who we know is a hands-on agent who, who says things to his clients that they hold to. I mean, that's how you lose a James Paxton. That's why James Paxton isn't a blue Jay because Scott Boris is a powerful influencer. And I'm wondering diamond, since you're in the field, especially of the importance of mental health and preparation for an athlete, where are Aaron and Marcus in, in this season, knowing that they're probably at their worst uh, levels ever, not just in terms of performance, but especially in the case of Marcus, not a single victory this year and a, an eight ERA. And in the case of Aaron, you've got a pitcher that spent a whole year fighting a blister problem and is maybe now doing way too much, which is why he can't buy a quality start. Yeah, I think, I mean, with Aaron, he should have just, you know, he should have gave it a little bit more time. And with Marcus Stroman, you kind of wonder whether or not the uh, <laughs> the, the pitching with emotion is catching up to him a little bit, um, uh, and, and yeah. how he, how he carries himself, you know, uh, off the field, and you know, sometimes on the field, that's catching up to him because that's one thing that I, you know, I often harp on is making sure you you stay as humble as possible in this game because this game, if you're if you're not humble, you're going to get humble. Um, <laughs> And I think that's what he's experiencing a little bit right now. So <laughs> hopefully he can, you know, stay with it, stay with the process, 
go back to the things that allowed him to be successful and, and, and turn things around. That's a really good point. It's a, that's a really good point because um, uh, it was interesting. When he, when he went on the disabled list, Ross Atkins uh, said it's likely he'll be out for a lot longer than the 10 days uh, that they had him on the DL. Um, and he hinted that there were mental issues. Uh, I mean, I'm not, not saying mental as in you know, depression or anything like that, but there was, there was clearly a, 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 a case of having to get his, his confidence back. That's what he seemed to be hinting at, exactly what you were saying, Diamond. Yeah. What, what else did they say? What else did he say? And, uh, Argo, do you remember? I, I just remember he, he, uh, he, he, they quoted Atkinson saying he was likely to be out for much longer than you know, uh, 10 days. Um, and, um, you know, he hinted at burnout and, and, and then they quoted Stroman as just saying, you know, that my mind's not where it has to be right now. And so uh, you, you, and you, so you did get the sense that the, the guy was grappling with a, um, uh, an issue of, uh, of confidence. Um, and, you know, look, uh, I mean, you're, you, you work with athletes all the time. So, you, you know, this is not unusual. Um, and, you know, since he had that setback, Back in 2015, it's been a, a never-ending ascent for him. You know, right from you know coming back miraculously when he did that year. So this is probably the first real adversity he's he's had to experience in um, in almost um, three years. And um, you know, it's tough. Couldn't agree anymore. And when you face this kind of adversity, especially at this level, you know, it's, it's tough to come back from. It's, it's very, very, very doable. I mean, he's done it plenty of times before, but. It's very tough to come back from in his position, and especially the pressure he has on himself. You know, with the media and every and everywhere else, it doesn't. That probably doesn't help the the situation either. But it definitely sounds like there's a confidence issue from what you're saying. Yep, yep. What does it uh, What does it say that we're reading a great deal of um, social media chatter comparing him to Ricky Romero because? I have a real problem with that. I, I don't think what Marcus is going through um, is predominantly a physical issue. I think we've talked about the importance of mental uh, fortitude, poise. I watched every Marcus Stroman start this year through spring training and into the regular season, and I can tell you that at no point that I feel that he was, quote, losing it, you know, losing the stuff, losing the magic. And it's one I agree. Thing if, he's in his, if it's one thing if he's in his mid-30s, right? And then you can start saying, well, we're starting to see a player who's aging and regressing the same way we can look at Donaldson. But don't you think when we look at Stroman, it's, it's more mental and as such requires him maybe to have to take a step back. But it's shocking to see the number of, of people who are starting to write him off. And you can't, you can't be too surprised when you look at his numbers. They're ugly. But this was the eighth. Uh, eighth runner-up for the Cy Young Award last year. This this was a top ten pitcher in Major League Baseball. How fickle is this game that fans lose faith this quickly? Well, I'll I'll quickly jump in here because um, uh, and I'll point I'll, I'll say two things. One is I felt that in his last few starts he was actually starting to show signs of the old Marcus Stroman again. That even though he he hadn't won a game yet, um, I thought he pitched a lot better. That's one point. And as regard to uh, Romero specifically. Um, we didn't know the extent of his physical deterioration. That came out a lot later. And it turned yes. out that the guy was actually on two really awful knees. And so he basically could walk, let alone pitch. And there's been no sign of that, that kind of physical uh, deterioration as regards to Marcus Stroman. Sure, he's had, he had some shoulder inflammation, but it, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's, that's, 
pretty par for the course for a lot of pitches. But the idea that he's he's breaking down anywhere near the extent to which Romero did, I, I think that's nonsensical. So I have to agree with you on that one, Artie. Yeah, no, I, I can't see it either. It's just, yeah, there were a few glimpses in those starts that Stroman made that he was, you know, the Stroman of 17. And although, you know, his ERA is inflated and he had he didn't have any wins, I think his other peripheral stats were actually not as atrocious as um, as mm-hmm. others would would lead us to believe. So, um, and it's it, it, we did mention his shoulder issues in spring training. I mean, maybe he rushed into it uh, a little too quickly. We saw that happen with Roberto Osuna last year, and he was a little wonky there for for April and May. And um, his last two starts, for whatever reason, with Stroman, I think he was just trying whatever he could he was leaning on his cutter which was you know really out of out of character for him because he's not a cutter pitcher he's a you know a sinker ball pitcher and um so to me that was like a a big red flag and i figured well something's definitely going on there um so yeah i don't i don't think this is i don't think this is a bad thing it's not you didn't see any indications that it's a major injury or anything like that and um, taking time off and just you know putting things on pause, it's it uh, can only benefit him in in the long run. I feel like I couldn't agree more there. I think that uh, and being able to go through this this little spread of adversity can only make you better. It, you know, assuming that he takes in the information that he has to take in, whether it's uh, you know hmm. not having confidence in that in that all seat. Um, and being able to do the right things with his pitching coach in order to get that confidence back, or if they do have a, a, a peak performance coach, do the right things with him on a day in and day out basis in order to get that confidence back in that pitch. And um, you know, if he takes in the information, if he takes it in the right way, and doesn't just dismiss it. You take in the information and you try to get better from it. You try to um, you know take in this adversity and then you know figure out how it can go into your resume and help you get better. I mean, if there's somebody who's going to come back stronger than ever, it's Marcus Stroman. Like, this is mm-hmm. hardly the biggest biggest piece of adversity he's ever had to face in his career. Like, he blew out an ACL. He came back and, and pitched his tail off at the end of 2015. He, you know, 2016 was a, was a down year for him, but then he came back in 2017 and had a career year. So, I mean, this is clearly a guy who's motivated. And um, if he's definitely, if he comes back healthy, he'll he'll be firing it on on all cylinders for sure. And if you have him and Sanchez coming back, reverting to anywhere near like the form they showed, well, in the case of Sanchez, 16 and and Stroman last year, then that's going to help a lot on on a lot of other fronts. That will help the bullpen, um, and um, that'll certainly get him closer to 500 uh, or play, playing 500 baseball. But even if you assume that, um, the issue still is that um, the core of the roster is still very old. Um, and um, look, Shapiro himself, uh, this is Mark, not um, Ari, uh, actually said that um, you know, he would have actually already started the rebuild had they not had such a strong year in 2016. And I think that was a, a, a mistake. He actually really believed that. Look, he, he, he's damned if he do and, and, and damned if he doesn't. So he might as well do what he thinks is the, is, is the right thing. And, and I just think this, this sort of half in, half out um, was a mistake. Now, I, I, I think they are, I, I, I respect the fact that they're not tanking, and I think they are trying to do what the Yankees did in 2012, which is 
um, rebuild on, on the fly. But to extend that analogy, Brian Cashman realized about 2016 um, that the team was not going to be uh, um, making the playoffs, even though they were still in contention for a wild card position. And he sold and um, and made some very, very astute um, acquisitions, uh, which, which uh, uh, served the team very, very well in 2017. And I, and I really think that um, um, Atkins uh, and Shapiro have to do the same thing. They, they, they have to be very, very disciplined about this uh, team, realize that they're probably going to lose a bunch of these players. Uh, they're on you know, uh, expiring contracts. Um, and so they've got to secure what they can uh, um, and, and think about getting younger and more athletic, as, as they have been doing further down in the system and indeed as they have been doing on the team this year with guys like um, um, Hernandez uh, and, um, and, and, and Grisha, even though he's not pitching, playing well uh, right, right now. Uh, that, that's the, the, the kind of moves they've got to be making going forward. Well, and I think we knew that there would be some experimentation this year, right? You you don't have the kind of off-season that the Blue Jays had without fans having an expectation that there will be a lot of tinkering and a lot of reclamation projects trying to prove that they belong in the league as a starter. And and one player who's done that with flying colors is Jan Hervis Solarte. I mean, uh, that acquisition is proving to be so beneficial in many, many ways. He's got the intangibles. He's in, enjoyed in the dugout, beloved by fans. But then for every Solarte risk, there is a Grichuk who just simply hasn't been able to get going at any point. I mean, it's been astonishing to see a two, three-week stretch with a professional baseball player who makes you understand why he struck out 40% of the time in the National League. These aren't surprises to fans. And, and to your point, Marshall, sometimes it's a tough decision for an organization to say, we are going to rebuild on the fly, even though it's a horrible place to be half in, half out. I don't like anything about that expression because it tells me from a baseball perspective that very little is getting accomplished. When Cashman decided, like the New, York's, the New York Rangers this past hockey season, that even though we could still try to compete and give you entertaining hockey, they pulled the trigger. But the biggest difference between what they did, and I'm curious how you three feel about this, how do you justify doing it to a fan base that won't guarantee that the house will still be packed? I mean, I mean, think about it. It'd be one thing if you knew you still had 35,000, 40,000 fans arriving to cheer on the prospects in the hopes of a year. The Blue Jays don't have that luxury, which means that in July, will it really be unreasonable to see 12,000 people on a Saturday afternoon or a, a Tuesday night? Because I fear that's where it's heading. It's going to be ugly. I hate to say, keep sounding like a broken record on this, but there is one way you can ensure that you get more than 12,000 to 15,000. All right. All right. Well, I'm, I'm simply, look, I'm not one of these people that says, look, he's batting 420 at, um, uh, in New Hampshire. He should be brought up now. Uh, but I do think you've got to accelerate the time frame. Um, there is no reason why Vlad Guerrero Jr. should not be in Buffalo. Uh, and if he does well in Buffalo, um, the issue of service time starts to go away come June or July. Um, and this is all also connected with um, uh, Josh Donaldson, another reason why I think you have to think seriously about trading him if he does start to go on a tear because um, he um, occupies uh, the future position of Mr. Guerrero. So, and, and, and so I, I think there are, look, you don't want to put a lot of pressure, undue pressure on a 19-year-old, but he has passed every test uh, that he's, he's uh, 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 been given. Um, put him up in Buffalo, and if he keeps... Uh, 
tearing up the league there, then I think you have to bring him up uh, in, in July, August. And I, I think um, you you start bringing up some of these other prospects if they likewise look like they're, they're doing something. And that will keep the fan base uh, excited. But I, I, I don't think you can keep going with this, um, the, with the status quo where you just simply say, well, we're, we're sort of in it, we're half in, half out. Because I think the, the one thing that Toronto fans won't put up with is a cynical, half-hearted, uh, directionless uh, uh, strategy. They, they've got to make a clear decision of where they want to go. And, and that's the thing, that there's, there's still a lot of doubt about uh, Shapiro and Atkins. I actually don't share those doubts, but they've got to really tip their hands at some point and, and show what their plan is for the next um, three to five years. And I think they should do that sooner rather than later. Right, yeah, I, th- I think it's a lot about managing fan expectations um, because it's it's one thing to say we have a competitive team, we're trying everything in our power to make to make a playoff spot, um, and it's another to, you know, have a, a fledgling team under 500 and realize you have to leapfrog three teams to get into a wildcard spot. So mm-hmm. I think things are going to probably shift um, in the next in the coming weeks and months, and it's one thing if there wasn't hope coming down the pipeline, but the fact that there are guys like Guerrero and Bichette and now Kevin Biggio uh, down in the minor leagues. You know, even if the, this major league team isn't competitive in 2018, um, you know the future is definitely looking bright for for 20 for 2019 because it's a team that has. Rich and position player prospects down in the in the minor league system, and that's the thing I've always said about this team in the last ten years. They've failed to draft and develop everyday position players, save for Kevin Pillar, um, and that's the only way you become a sustainable uh, contender in the American League is you've got to draft and develop. So I feel like you know this organization is finally turning the corner and 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 churning out everyday position players. And, uh, and next year is definitely going to be an interesting one if, if uh, one or more of these guys breaks through. Agreed. And I think that that's, and they've got to do that sooner rather than later. And as you say, there are people around there that are, are in that position. It's, it's, not, it's not just uh, Vlad, as you said, Bichette. Um, you've got Danny Jansen who could start um, taking uh, turns uh, as, a, as a catcher. Um, and Biggio, um, and, and perhaps uh, also... Uh, 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 Sean Reed fully, assuming he could bounce back from what he did in his first start. But uh, so there are there are people, but but put them in that position where let's see how they do in in um, uh, in, in 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 Buffalo, and if they do okay, then um, by all means uh, bring them up in the summer and and start signaling to your fan base that you're ready to go. Couldn't agree more. I mean, he's hitting 427 down there right now. Got to do it sooner or later. Well, we all know the the now entrenched arguments when it comes to uh, to uh, exercising some caution. Uh, I'm quite frankly getting tired at the sound of my own voice when I've got to go on multiple radio stations and say the same thing, which is the Blue Jays are looking at this from three perspectives. Service time, how it will affect his development by skipping AAA, and the fact that with with Steve Pierce and Troy Tilowitzki and Randall Grichuk returning, there's going to have to be some significant roster move in order to get him up here without, again, having a plan of why he's here. Because can we agree that there is this alluring quality of him being a savior-like player in that if he does come up and he does do well, he's a phenomenal rallying point. He'll not only get hands in the seats 
on a midsummer August night, but there will be this this sense of, you know, the future is now and this team still has players who want to win. And by the way, $160 million is not chump change. I mean, it was embarrassing enough to watch how the Orioles can barely scratch out a win a week. Why not the Blue Jays with a little bit of old-fashioned baseball romanticism and seeing the baseball gods rally and say, here, you've given the youth a chance, uh, a really young player, unprecedented, 19 years old, let him, let him fly, let him fly like a Blue Jay. Well, look how much exciting excitement a guy like Juan Soto is 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 generating right now, or um, Gray Bar Torres in, in in New York. Ronald so, um, Acuna with uh, with that. Yeah, exactly, team. exactly. There there are other nineteen year olds that are doing it, and by by uh, June first, the service time issue goes out the window because you'll have him for another year before he becomes a free agent. And secondly, I say, right, okay, don't skip to AAA, but he should be up there now or at least very very soon to see what he can do because he's clearly as diamond has pointed out i mean the guy's clearly um uh, ready major league ready as far as his offense goes there's no point in wasting his development down in double a any longer put put him up with a a slightly bigger set of boys i agree and you, and you think about it too the uh, the difference between him and other 19 year olds in the league it's his dad played it his dad played at the extremely high level he kind of yeah. he kind of gets a a level up on everybody else because you know I can only imagine the things that his dad are his dad is putting in his ear every single day from a mental development standpoint and you know being able to handle different things like um, that you usually don't get to learn unless you go through it with trial and error so um, you know he's probably way ahead of the uh, the development curve when it comes to when it comes to that standpoint because you know the simple the, the simple um, simple point of, you know, his dad played, so he's passing down that same information that he had while he was playing. Yeah, and he's been around Major League dugouts his whole life, so, I mean, I I, yep. I don't think he'll be as intimidated by the big show as, uh, as someone as some of these other guys would be. Absolutely. Ian, is, is there a cruel irony that there are days that I'm sure Alex Anthopoulos looks back at how hard he worked to beat other clubs to the punch and acquire Vladimir Guerrero that he he's essentially looking at their Willy Wonka golden ticket right I mean just like with Austin Matthews being drafted first overall by the Maple Leafs this is even better because this player as touted as Austin Matthews was as you said Diamond he doesn't compare to other 19 year olds you don't get an 80 hit rating from Baseball America if you're just a really great prospect this kid has a chance in, in the six or five years, if you will, of controllable Blue Jays strength. He has a chance to put up the kinds of numbers and do the kinds of things that we've never witnessed before. So isn't that even more reason to, to have them do it sooner rather than later before the season reaches a point where you just start tuning in only for his four at-bats? Because that would be a real shame with a lot of months of baseball left, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And actually there's um... – there's a, a really great article that uh, Rob Longley and Steve Simmons wrote for the Toronto Sun. They kind of actually chronicled how the Blue Jays ended up signing Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, they kind of go through an oral history of what happened, and it was just the, the step-by-step process of everything that Alex Anthopoulos needed to do. He had to go to the Dominican. He had to meet with his parents. Um, you know, they spent all their international slot signing to land him, um, and it's just it's I think from his Anthopolis's perspective, it just kind of reinforces everything, all the effort they put into signing him because they knew back then when he was 
you know, 14, 15 years old, mm. that this guy was going to be a superstar. And whenever he gets called up, because he's going to get called up, whether the Blue Jays are in contention or out of contention, I think it's going to send a, a shot of adrenaline um, through through the Rogers Center because we saw what happened a couple weeks ago when everyone thought he was going to get called up to Toronto and he posted that picture on Instagram. Like every, everyone on Jay's Twitter was going crazy. So if he actually gets called up and makes his debut, I think not just everyone in Toronto and Canada, but you know the whole baseball world has caught on. Everyone's writing about Vlad right now. Everyone south of the border, north of the border, they know who he is, and it's just a matter of time. Um, before the Blue Jays make that call, um, I don't know if it's going to be soon, but yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna happen eventually. Well, I, I don't want to mince words when it comes to addressing what a media company should do when it has a rare opportunity to promote a player without overhyping him. Because let's face it, Rogers can't overhype Vlad at this point. He is in the public eye. He is a, a darling of Twitter. I guarantee you at any given time in the evening these days, if you check your Twitter feed, you'll see that he's one of the top trending names because he's probably yep. gone three for four with two home runs or he, he just went five for five and came close to him for the cycle. And at some point you say to yourself, again, being a media company, why not take advantage of this opportunity to ride the crest of popularity because you know it'll, it'll be a lot of attention in the U.S. as well. It's not like this will be an isolated, oh, look, a, a player that we signed a long time ago finally developed is here. No, this is the next one. This is a player, again, who has been projected as being better than Bryce Harper and Mike Trout comparatively at their stage in development. And, and you'd like to think in baseball of all sports, the critics and the scouts they can get a little bit overexcited and they can overhype a player. Like when they tell you Anthony Ghost is a potential five tool player. Some things just weren't meant to be, I guess. <laughs> but I have heard about Vlad with the exception of the criticism of his quote, baby weight, which there are far too many people who are concerned with his diet. And I always joke about it on Twitter because it's, it's just hilarious to make fun of it. Uh, other than that, um, you call him up. If he does struggle, then at least you, you renewed interest and you bring him back down. So why not call him up and give him the opportunity to maybe wow the fans under very unconventional circumstances? Especially when well, they at need least, the most. At least put him into Buffalo. At least get him up to Buffalo and see what he does there. I mean, you know, I don't think he has to jump the gun, but it's crazy having him in New Hampshire. When I say that with all due respect to the, the fine people of that state, uh, um, they can live free and die without him for a while. So. Well, you hope it isn't just business-related, right? Because we know that there were some advanced uh, preparations in both AAA and AA for Vlad once he was done with the Lansing Lugnuts. Uh, Jesse Goldberg-Strasler, who's a regular on my show, likes to talk about how he, his, the whole approach with the, the Blue Jays brass is almost like a true multifaceted project. He's not a player on this roster. He is literally a multidimensional project when he finally does come up because we've seen what happens with players now in this day and age more than ever when it comes to the importance of their maturation and their mental health. And one player who struggled with that obviously was Roberto Osuna, and now the worst-case scenario happened. Diamond, what, does, what do the Blue Jays have to be mindful of with Vlad to avoid having any scenario where too much fame and too much money and too much popularity might end up hurting his chances of being a successful player uh, rather than helping? I think they they have to be aware of just those things. And, you know, he is hot right now. And 
I think it would be a good idea to, you know, call him up, see if he's able to do, see if that if that hotness can translate in the base. Um, but you do have to, at the same time, make sure that, you know, you're aware of, of what it can do to his development if he goes up there and he doesn't do well. We're on just confidence. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't, you know, now he doesn't believe in himself anymore. That's a, definitely a possibility. But I, like I said before, I do think that, uh, you know, in an ideal world, that would get canceled out because of, you know, him being around a big league dugout his whole life, him understanding the game to a T, um, getting the information from his dad and his experience. Um, so it really just depends on what they want to do. And I think, you know, hopefully they make the right decision, and I'm excited to see him come up. So last question, gentlemen, uh, which has been sitting around in my head, and there there are very few things in baseball that make me – more profoundly sad than hearing about a legend, a player headed towards Cooperstown, someone you were used to following for many years, even when he was on a team that you normally loathe, like the Evil Empire, the New York Yankees. But hearing Robinson Cano get suspended for something that we thought was long gone from the game, even though it's made a big, big uh, comeback, and that is steroid usage and any kind of PEDs that helps it helps you continue your career at a clip that, you know, people won't ask questions. How, how brutal was it to hear about the Robinson Cano suspension and now even the Wellington Castillo? I mean, these are not marginal players. It's one thing, I guess, when we hear about a utility guy who's a fourth stringer somewhere or somebody's backup to the backup catcher. But when, there's, when they start being these recognizable names who have been instrumental in their team's success, what does it really say about how far we were supposedly going to go when it comes to this crusade against cheating. But really, we haven't really made any progress, have we? Well, we have because they've been getting caught. Um, and, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the, the fact is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that, look, I, I mean, I don't think it's anywhere near the level it was, say, in the, uh, the 1990s, uh, when, you know, by some estimates, you had as many as 70, 75% of the, uh, of the, the uh, p- players ju- juicing uh, and that pitchers as well as position players. So to that extent, you know, that these guys are getting caught um, and, you know, it, it, and not only getting caught, but, you know, the, he, he got caught uh, with a masking agent. So the, the, the levels sure. of uh, detection are getting better as, as well. It's, uh, some of these other guys, are, you know, in, in the mind, it's been pretty stupid. They've been, they've been using uh, steroids that are, are older brands that are very easy to get caught. But, but look, uh, this, this guy, you know, you and I talked about this before, Ari, he, he made a Faustian bargain. I mean, this guy's made an yeah. enormous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I mean, there, there, there was some talk that he, you know, that he, he was in the rumor mill about this before. I mean, it was one of the reasons I think there was some suggestion that, that Cashman was reluctant to go much higher on the uh, offer that he made him, which wasn't insubstantial. I think he offered him about $180 million in part because there were these rumors about his, his usage. He'd been tied to people that had been connected to steroids Daniels before. Um, but, and sure, he's probably blown his Hall of Fame uh, uh, opportunity for this. So has um, A-Rod uh, um, and uh, Manny Ramirez. But look, uh, these guys made a pile of money and um, you know they, they made a calculation. And I guess... Uh, um, they came from relatively poor backgrounds in many cases. It's, it's sad, but the the asymmetric risks are strongly pointed to why people continue to do it. I'm in many respects going to turn it around and say I'm surprised there's not more that don't do it. Um, uh, and and I, and I think it's it's 
it's disappointing. But I, you know, I, again, I don't think it's the it's the norm now the way it was twenty years ago. No, I mean it's um, it's a reminder that the steroids are still exist in baseball. I mean, the game is cleaner, but it's not a hundred percent clean. And the fact that it's not a fringe guy, it's not someone like Chris Colabello. This is Robinson Cano, who's a you know a big part of the Seattle Mariners team. It's a stark reminder that players like this are, you know, they're still taking that risk by, by using steroids and performance-enhancing drugs. And by doing so, I think Cano, he just, he's probably on a Hall of Fame career, uh, a path to Cooperstown, and now that's in jeopardy uh, because of this suspension. So it's, um, it's a reminder that players are still willing to take risks to, to gain that edge. And it's not, the game isn't quite as dirty as it once was, but Yes, there are still players taking that risk, so it's um, it's a reminder that it, the game isn't 100% clean yet. And I don't think it ever will become 100% clean. Um, that's it's, probably unrealistic. It's, it's so profoundly selfish. It, it's such a se- selfish experience from the fans' perspective. You know, not only those who support Cano in Seattle and supported him in New York, but also how it affects the balance of power for teams who are desperate to get into the postseason, right? Taking Robinson Cano out of the equation for 80 games is taking a huge bat out of your lineup. And we saw that when he came to Toronto. So it's, it's a horrible thing because you look at the Dominican Republic, uh, that poor country just keeps getting pounded because every time I see a Dominican player in particular get a suspension or referred to as being a cheater, I think to myself how it hurts those who worked hard. You know, the old school guys like a Tony Fernandez, who you discovered at the age of 13 and away you go. Um, One hopes that Vlad Guerrero with his clean and, and vibrant career that created so many, you know, he was a true hero and a role model to so many young children. Hopefully he'll be able to impart that wisdom on his son because we, we can see when it comes to the trappings of fame and making a lot of money in the sport. I mean, you know, you talk about income earning potential in baseball. If you're a great player, it's ridiculous. It really is, especially if you get that big contract at just the right time. Timing is everything. You know, Evander Kane, seven years, $7 million. Timing is absolutely everything when you leave the right impression mm-hmm. on a team. Um, so we'll definitely see what happens. Uh, let's go around the horn to, to wrap up this round table. I want to know what you gentlemen have been up to and what some of my listeners should know about uh, what you've got on the go. Let's start with you, uh, Diamond, then Marshall and Ian. Well, right now, we're uh, here at Wright State. We're in the middle of our conference tournament. And tomorrow, actually tomorrow mm-hmm. morning, we play, uh, we play University of Illinois, Chicago. And it's funny, this is the Blue Jays podcast. Um because Curtis Granderson, he actually graduated from there, and he donated uh, back to them and, and created wow. this humongous and awesome facility that they have at their home stadium. But luckily, we got first in our conference, and uh, we're hosting the tournament, so we don't have to worry about going to their place. So I'm pretty confident in our guys tomorrow. Um, but nice. that's, that's really the only thing on my mind right now. Is um, Good luck. You know, doing everything I can to help our guys win a, win a conference championship, and I appreciate that. Really do. Um, well, it's, we, we talked a lot about Vlad today. I'm, I'm working on a piece basically laying out all the pros and cons of uh, calling them up and kind of weighing each one there. And also doing something on uh, the Blue Jays' attendance numbers. Not surprisingly, numbers are down this year compared to last. So just trying to put that in perspective 
over the last five or six years and kind of where attendance stands. So, uh, yeah, that's, I've got that on the go right now. I was just going to say that'll be an interesting one. I, I'm particularly interested to see how the, the attendance numbers compare with, say, middle of you know, the, the, the first part of 2015. Uh, I'm not sure that 2015, 2016, the latter part of that, that year and last year, are, are good baselines for, for the uh, the team. So it, 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 looking at a five-year rolling average would be more interesting, and I'll be I'll be really interested to read that article, Ian. Yeah, it's, well, to give you a bit of a preview, I think the, the numbers so far this year are basically comparable to what happened in 2012. So before the Marlins and, and Mets trades, um, that's basically what we're looking back at. Every other year has been has been higher. So that's uh, oh, we'll be diving into that a little bit more in the coming week or so. That's kind of that's ominous. Ex- that's uh, but it's also exciting because I really look forward to a lot of the stuff that you write on specifically, and I'm glad that you're tackling the the, the Vlad question. Um, someone on Twitter reached out to me through a direct message a few days ago and asked me who I read, who, who I focus on in terms of authors about Blue Jays before going on the radio. And I said, Ian Hunter. And then she said, well, can you name maybe two others? And I just said, Ian Hunter, Ian Hunter, and Ian Hunter. She got a real <laughs> kick out of that. I said, I said, if you read his stuff, if you read his stuff on his site, you'll need, you'll, you'll know everything. You'll feel better about yourself, and you won't walk away gritting your teeth because of some cynical, you know, perspective for the sake of sensationalism. So, I've said too much. Marshall, bring us up the rear. <laughs> we we should give a, a shout out to our good buddy Chris Henderson, though, uh, as well uh, as as you know, I read in the religious too as well. But, but um, he's yeah. enough of that. He's, he's a country <laughs> music star for crying out loud. Don't, don't inflate more than you need to. <laughs> he, he's promised to send me one of his black uh, cowboy hats if I said that. So, um, hold, um, hold, hold him to that. No. Hold him to that. <laughs> well, I, I, I have nothing as exciting as, as uh, what you guys are doing. I, I'm just uh, sticking, writing up my, some more stuff for, for Alternet. Uh, um, I just had a piece come out on the U.S. and, and China. Um, and I'll have a, another piece coming out uh, in the next week or so on income inequality. So um, it's not nearly – in a way, it's sort of like baseball. You kind of feel like you've got the haves and the has-nots, uh, um, but uh, not quite as exciting as what we discussed tonight. But uh, you can catch me and read my stuff on, on um, www.alternet.org. So, you know, if anyone wants to read it there. Nothing captures fan enthusiasm like switching from the subject of Blue Jays baseball to the ch- problem in China or cryptocurrencies. So, yes, there you I'll go. Be, I'll, I'll be recommending your writing specifically to, to change our, our attention on something a little more fascinating than what we've been seeing lately. Gents, this has yeah. been great. We covered a, a lot of great stuff. And um, I look forward to the next time we sit down and talk about this because something tells me there'll be no, you know there won't be a dull moment between now and, and the time when Vlad does get called up. So I'm sure we'll have lots to yeah. talk about. You've been listening to Marshall Auerbach, Diamond Hall, and Ian Hunter here on the Jays Journal podcast. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Ari. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Ari. Appreciate you, Ari. <laughs>